Hey, this is Ross Payton with Rolling Public Radio. This is RBPR episode 160, Beachside Bases, uh, also known as how to build a base for your game. Uh, we're going to be talking about creating bases in Base Raiders uh, in, in with specific techniques that you can use to uh, come up with ideas and uh, execute them for your game. And this is applicable to uh, any kind of real dungeon. I mean, we're going to be talking about the superhero genre and Base Raiders. But, I mean, the ideas could be transferred to D&D or any, any other thing where you have a place where there's things for players to do. So can an alternative title to this be Build a Base Workshop? Uh, no. Okay. Absolutely <laughs> okay. not. Okay. How right. dare you? That just sounds uh, like a terrible job to have. <laughs> uh, Taking kid right now. Look, it's Billy's first villainy. Can we, can we give him Build a good? bear, the base. Uh, <laughs> that's what I want to see. And it's literally bears. You're, you're gen- biomechanically grafting bears together. Oh, God. Yeah. Bear Would that talk. be a super villain layer, I think? Really? Uh, it could be either. I mean, maybe there was a heroic team of bears and they had high casualty rates, so they had to replace them. So it's a it's a cyborg <laughs> bear ninja squad, apparently. Uh, and so the, like one changed meaning in that whole conversation. Changed. Actually, we <laughs> God, yeah. yeah. What kind of bear are we talking about? The, this season of We Bear Bears got Some weird really right. quickly. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I have with me not as always is Sean and Aaron. Hello. Hello. Yep. Uh, so we're also going to be having an interview with, uh, Bree Sheldon, uh, that I recorded online earlier, uh, as a separate segment where, uh, they will be talking about, uh, their new game turn, uh, which is about werewolves in a small town. Uh, and that's coming to Kickstarter on October 31st. So stay tuned for that. And of course we also have anecdotes and shout outs. Uh, and, uh, but first we have news. Uh, the, I finally started doing RPPR merchandise. Woo! Yay. So... Only after a decade. Uh, so uh, if you're an RPPR backer on the Patreon, you've, you've undoubtedly heard that I'm creating enamel pins. Uh, those are in production right now. Uh, I will mail them after I get them. Uh, but uh, for uh, the rest of you, uh, I will have a link in the show notes for a t-shirt store uh, that I've uploaded to, well, designs to tpublic.com um, and... We have three designs right now: the RPP, the new RPPR logo. Uh, then we also have shark fighting, and also <laughs> cool rat. And so you can buy those shirts and help support RPPR. And yep. If you, if you would like your uh, your chest to have the last moments of Conrad Mueller displayed for all to see, then <laughs> feel free. So, um, yeah. although we'd like to do more shark fighting stuff too, that would actually be great. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll eventually do. We'll have more designs, and as we do, I'll announce them here. Uh, but we have three right now. Uh, so yeah, that's something to check out. And we there are sales every once in a while, and if there's another sale, I'll announce it. So um, yeah, check that out. Uh, but anyways, um, someone suggested this. I forgot. I think a listener suggested this like a, a couple of weeks ago of doing talking about creating bases and how to do that in base raiders. Because uh, I do have some uh, wordage, some some pages devoted to that in the book. But you know, uh, more specific things can help out. So um, yeah, creating. I mean, because. In base raiders, uh, the idea is that these bases exist for a specific reason. They're not just like in D and D. You can ignore all you. It's a lot of that sort of hand wave. People aren't going to buy disbelieve like that. There's a you know a ruined underground tunnel network with a bunch of monsters in it for you to. Well, go let's kill. be fair. The word dungeon is fairly deceptive. I mean, you know, it's not a place where you torture people. It originally meant yeah. tower. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it meant like torture room or prison. Well, it, or it eventually became part a part of the tower. But uh, the original oh, the term tower? dungeon meant a tower. Oh, okay, because oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It, to me, I, I've always think uh, you know underground, yeah. dang dark. Well, but, yeah, it then became like a, pr- a a gallery prison kind of situation. Yeah. But no, yeah. uh, that's the original etymology of it. Of course, things change over time. So yeah, things do change over time. Weird. So, huh? mm. Uh, deep thoughts by RPPR. Oh. <laughs> God, that's an actual deep cut right now. <laughs> okay, so how many people remember that SNL skit right now? A lot of people. Okay. A lot of people. Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, in base raiders, uh, I kind of go over there. There are seven major components to a base that you would need to come up with something cohesive, uh, and that would be one. First off, the builder slash owner of the base. Um, then to the history of it, you know, what, what's the story, what happened here? Uh, of course, three is the, and these are no particular order. Three is the function. What was this built? Ba- every base is a purpose built structure is sort of my definition of it. It was not, it's not a cave or if it was, it might've started as a cave, but then someone, you know, uh, built stuff in there so it's a purpose-built structure um and so there was a reason why they built it what was it what was that reason uh that doesn't mean it always stayed that way but like again that goes in the history uh then of course four is location 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 very important um five of course is inhabitants uh and this is talking about the inhabitants now when the players encounter because that's the most important part of a base's history is when the players are in it because that's the whole reason it exists technically (laughs) um so then of course six would be loot uh contents what's in it what's the stuff the players can steal is there a lot of copper wiring you know uh that kind of thing (laughs) Uh, and then seven, of course, is defenses. What are the things the players are going to have to punch or, uh, you know, disarm or whatever in order to get through? Um, so this is sort of focusing on a base is something that the players go to to do a thing. Um, now, they may be just, you know, whatever the story reason is that that's up to you as the GM, obviously. But like, uh, let's just go around and sort of um, the base. Let, let's talk about specific ways uh, uh, listeners can get into building maze. And this is not talking about game mechanics yet. We'll talk about game mechanics in a little bit, but first let's talk about like thematically, you want a base in your game. Um, and the way I always start, the way we're going to focus is like, you start with an initial C that, that, that's one idea that you want to use. Like it's either something you need or a, maybe an image that you have a really cool idea for, or, um, you know, you know, the base's owner, you know, something that you want in this base or about this base. Um, so Sean, uh. um, I mean, the one time I front base Raiders, I start off with just the basic premise, uh, the simple premise of there used to be all these highfalutin big battles between the ideal and whoever the hell came along. Mm-hmm. The ideal probably wants to keep their public image. Well, they probably have repair crews in major locations. Okay. So, so the function is it, it was the, I went with the function of it's essentially a maintenance shed. It was a minor base mm-hmm. that somebody else had gotten into and they, they found ways to like work with it from there. Okay. Um, so yeah, the whole idea was somebody gets their hands on what should be a simple construction mech mm-hmm. and goes on a rampage. Okay. So yeah, that, that, Gives the base thing, but you cannot, you can expand from there. I was mainly going off. Well, you, I mean, you already did. You start with construction thing and then you already talked about inhabitants or defenses. Um, so is this person with the construction mech already inside? The idea was that he'd actually gotten into it ahead of time and it had become a villain. Okay. I didn't do much with the, with the base exploration. They got there and it had already been looted, Mm -hmm. but there are a few minor things they could pick up and possibly use. Okay. Um, this was a tiny base, I'll admit, but you could, it's it's going to be expanded to a much larger idea. Mm-hmm. Again, the whole point was, look at the purpose. This was for a small thing that people forget about. Instead of just, it's sealing a greater demon. 
Or this holds a powerful artifact and keeps it in check. Yeah. This is where I upgrade my minions. It's This is where we go to pick up the construction equipment to fix the massive hole in the building <laughs> that when we knocked <laughs> Supervillain X through it a few times. Yeah. You know, how do you keep the uh, local government infrastructure from just basically rebelling against the idea of having a superhero group? Yeah. When, uh, no, that's a no, that's a really good idea. Talking about sort of the, the down and dirty uh, the, incident, yeah. Yeah, the incidentals. You know. Yeah, uh, superheroes and villains have have to build their own infrastructure, which is a point I make in the book because uh, they're outside the law. They're literally beyond the law. So like, they can't go to a hospital. They can't just hire a construction company to do it because they'd be like, "All right, who's this? The Masked Avenger." Uh, I'm sorry, who? Um, <laughs> uh, you're paying in cash. Uh, the IRS is not going to like this. Uh, yeah. So this money has blood on it? I can't accept this money. Um, I mean, maybe most construction companies will be like, eh. why, why are these serial numbers uh, dated to 20 years in the future? <laughs> or it could okay, be yeah. I can pay you in, you know, superpower patches. Like, no. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. Um, so that's, no, it sounds like you you basically you, you started with that idea and you you immediately came up with multiple ideas or yeah. filled in several of the other blanks who was in there, yeah. uh, what had happened to it, um, and yeah. So that was like one of the one of the approaches that I had actually used at that point, and I didn't have to fill in all of them because I wasn't th- that scenario wasn't focusing on the base as hard, but I could have easily expanded it to include the rest. Where was it located? St. Louis. St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. They had to save the St. Louis Arch. Okay. Did they, did the players, was the task finding the place in the first place? Uh, part of it was finding out who this, like uh, a new terrorist came up in a suit of power armor. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm calling, uh, yeah, that's a long debate. Construction back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, construction back power armor, whatever. And he was at first that a couple buildings went down. Mm-hmm. They had to like track down some missing people, figure out who did this. Then they stumble across the looted base, mm-hmm. find a few extra odds and ends in there. And then they have to stop this pissed off, uh, social, like, uh, but, uh, Oh, civil worker, civil servant from demolishing <laughs> major landmarks. Well, I mean, yeah, that's how you climb to villainy, I guess, you know? Yeah. Go out to landmarks. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the base wasn't the, the central purpose of the game. It was just one scene. It was one scene, but it yeah. did, it, it colored a lot of the story. Yeah. It gave, yeah, it gave a lot of the backstory to the villain. So it was kind of a reverse. I don't know. It was kind of an odd sideways way to do it, but I could have gone full in with the base. Yeah. The thing. Um, well, that's, it's also, you make a really good point in that, um, bases don't have to be the center stage, right? Like in, yeah, the game's called base raiders. You think, yeah, but no, like just have it being one part of the story is fine. Well, they were fighting off a base raider. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, that's a good point. So, uh, Aaron, what about you? Um, when you're talking about the general seeds, usually I'm kind of more in the traditional that I like to figure out like what would be the center thing causing everything around it. Um, I know it's a little bit different. What but, do you mean? Um, well, basically kind of build up that one thing that it essentially protects or is causing the issue in the story and then radiate. Can you everything give me an example? The, yes, actually. Okay. So, um, uh, it's not in base Raiders, but it was actually when I did the uh, second common writer episode for uh, Delta green, um, that the whole thing of that series was you had, uh, the Shan that were capturing that rider and trying to create that interdimensional portal out of Earth. Okay. And it's like, all right, we have that there. 
what is initially protecting it? What's the, what is taking? What is uh, shielding it from there? Are there goons outside? Or who are the people that are surrounding? So what it? is? Oh, so this is so the facility where they're guarding this thing. Yeah. So I basically okay. create that one thing and then build it around like what are the fortifications? Okay. So what, you start with like the contents and yeah. then the defenses. Exactly. Contents, defenses, people. Why are they there? What are the clues that are going to bring in the other players to say like, hey, there's lights going on all across the street. The power grid is being drained in a weird okay. way um you have leaflets saying hey come over and that's like get a free meal and you're not going to completely be a sacrifice to the shan <laughs> so things that would draw them in from that central idea and then just kind of building up around it instead of just kind of segmenting one side and then trying to figure out the reasons why they would be there okay uh i mean yeah that's another point is to be player facing in terms of the uh each of these categories is like the history doesn't for example the the history of the base doesn't matter except what the players can learn uh i know there's a lot of gms there's a lot of rpgs out there that kind of like here's this amazing history of this faction or this artifact or whatever the players can never learn it um and it will never come up and play there's no way to even indirectly learn it. and, and that's a really bad way to it is a really it's it. well for i mean as a gm like you just don't have that time to like here's 30 pages of backstory that i written oh awesome what what do we know nothing uh, these people are long dead. They, you, you, it's an alien language you can't read and, uh, it has nothing to do with the plot. Uh, actually it does have everything to do with the plot. If you knew it, you'd be in a huge advantage, but there's no way for you to learn it. So yeah. you're just going to be manipulated and pushed around. Like th- I've seen that kind of happen in some written games. Um, so scenario review that was basically at the mountains of madness and D and D with the insane asylum kind of, yeah. it was just like, Oh yeah, right? we did that for after hours. Yeah, 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 yeah after yeah. hours episode. I forget which one, but it was just like here's an info dump. What does it does it mean anything? Nope, just helps you flavor the text a bit, you know. Well, yeah, but even in that case, the players might be able to puzzle it out. But yeah, there was a lot of a lot of details they yeah. really. So could. every every single category, you need to make it something like how do the players interact with this? Do they learn about it? Do they fight it? Do they? they- you know loot it what what is and exactly and that's actually why i like putting that that central aspect moving out is because every once in a while especially if the players end up getting off track mm-hmm. from a, a particular rail that you might have set up towards this it's easier to build off another path to say like oh this person links in here since you're going for this or if they decide to latch onto that one npc you said like he really doesn't mean anything god damn it turtle man um and then you can immediately get everything back towards that center. It might be a little bit off, but it gives you an opportunity to build maybe something else. Or if you've written additional materials, like, hey, there's um, this one side building that contains it contains the runes or the the synth, uh, uh, serum or something that allows you to read that alien language. Boom, you're right back in. Yeah. So. Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, you don't want to like. I mean, there's the eternal debate of how much do you do you try to railroad or force players down a certain path, mm-hmm. and um, you don't. In my the way, you know, I I find it interesting when the players don't go uh, to places. For example, in a game I ran uh, last week for you guys, there was one area, <laughs> which is an upcoming AP, where you guys are like, no, we're not going in there. I'm like, well, okay. And if you had gone in there, it would have gone a lot. You you would have done a lot better at the end of the game. <laughs> Oh yeah, but, but like True. you didn't, uh, and I found that quite interesting. So, well, that's what the uh, 
That's what Yakety Sax is for, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned for Call of Cthulhu, The Space Between. Um, yeah, that 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 was a pretty interesting uh, thing. So you don't want to force the players down because it's interesting when they choose not to go or not to do something. Yeah. But like, There's also the issue um, of just being too proud of your own work. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah some, that's absolutely. I've, I've done it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but everything, the the main idea is like once you build, once you pick that initial element, that 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 one of those seven categories, you're you're gonna fill out. Uh, then you need everything sort of. It's better if everything logically flows from that. So like you want a base that you basically like. Okay, the most important thing about this base, the, the initial seed, is that there's. It's to got it's uh uh it got this massive thing in here, this important plot device. And that the players want to get. Okay. So like, then you go there. Well, why is it there? Um, and then like, what is guarding was between it and the players. And then like, and then from there you can go, well, who built that? Who put it there? Or how did, how did it wind up there? Uh, and then you can figure out, you know, was the base even designed for that or was it built, you know, was it, did they like take someone's safe house and turn it into a vault, you know, or something like that. So, um, so yes, everything should logically flow from one to the others. So, yeah. So, I mean, another idea I was like throwing out there was, yeah. uh, the player point of view could be a great place to start. Like, how are they getting into this mess? What are they mm-hmm. going to see when they start off mm-hmm. and then build from there? Uh, so one of the ideas I was been, toying, yeah, especially for smaller bases. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the ideas I've been toying with, which I still haven't finished up yet. I was going to call it airbed and base. <laughs> you know, stuff people rent big ass like houses out in the country or on a beach or whatever. And mm-hmm. they go out there with some friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what if the PCs are a group of friends, they rent a place. They don't know it was a, a base. The person's renting it out who somehow picked it up, thought it was just a McMansion or whatever. In reality, it's, it's the front for a base. Somebody leans on a sconce at some point and you know, the defenses activate, it locks everybody in, so they have to go deeper. They find power-ups inside that's up to them if they want to use them. Yeah. The all the defenses are activated. It might have been then from there you go, well, okay, so that they're being flushed into a base. Mm-hmm. They're being they kind of know what's going on, but not really. And also there's the issue of uh who the fuck would build this and start with. And that when I was thinking about it, I was like, what if it's a former badass assassin that got picked off by Ragnarok somehow? Mm-hmm. And Again, their house defaulted, and it was registered as just a house. <laughs> Somebody bought it and thought, I can rent this out, and they never knew that it had, like, a death robot hidden behind the fi- of the fireplace. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's like a bad idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, uh, also in Base Raider, specifically, everything's been abandoned for at least a year. So, like, um, you have that sort of neglect and, like, the idea that someone else, their squatters can come in or, um, you know, systems, defense systems can malfunction. Um, any number of things can happen. Uh, prisoners get out. That kind of thing. Um, another idea that kind of dovetails off that one is maybe you have some a larger villain or somebody else who ends up finding multiple smaller bases of, like, maybe street-level heroes or other ones and decides to do a Guild of Calamitous Intent thing where he produces a gig economy villainy issue where he rents out these places to smaller people who don't have the ability to either get what they need or uh, so like, wait so which base are you talking about are you talking about one of the smaller bases yeah basically like, just do okay. a, instead of one just do a collective of a lot okay. of smaller ones that they could explore through saying like hey uh the uh, red, uh, it's like red-handed brawler has all of this. Uh, it's like super soldier serum. You can go over here and okay. take out of this. Or so you're talking, so the, you're talking about the history is like it, yeah. it was it was repurposed. It was basically taken over by someone else yeah. and uh, used. Yeah, uh, and you can go from there. Um, I, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, oh yeah, for another example, um, 
So uh, there's a Patreon game I was going to run, but the uh, players had scheduling issues, uh, and that was called the Cassandra Vaccine. Uh, so to explain that, um, the um, one of the things I was thinking of is the ideal. You know, back when the superheroes were around, they were like, "Well, we need to pr- we need to sort of um, society is going to face all these existential threats, and we can't always pr- we can't protect them from everything. We can't." perfectly shield them from everything so we need to immunize them we need to inoculate them uh, uh that's against, never scary <laughs> uh, against certain existential threats and it because if we introduce a minor version of this threat to where people are conceptually aware about it and then of course because people are being people they wildly overreact to uh something that causes a relatively minor amount of damage but is all over the media and it's really different uh, so, you know, like the, they'll develop good protocols to defend against this thing that is really, uh, kind of, uh, in terms of absolute numbers, very minor, you know, like say a thousand people get killed or whatever, or a thousand people are affected. That's really scary. It makes really great media narrative, but it's not like, you know, like car crashes yeah. or drunk driving or anything. So like. Uh, but then 30 years down later, when the real version of that threat comes along, they'll have these protocols and they'll know how to deal with it. And so the idea is that they find that someone finds a base that was designed to um, launch this minor scale threat. So in my case, uh, it was going to be alien possession. Like they were going to uh, uh, essentially allow a group of alien parasites to come in, some Sean-esque aliens to possess like a, th- a small town or, or something like that and cause all these kind of hijinks. <laughs> Um, and then the players were going to have to like alert society and let, you know, them see and not intervene directly and just monitor and see what happens. And then hopefully eventually, you know, first responders or street level heroes have no idea what's going on respond to it, defeat the, the alien parasites and stop them. And then everyone freaks out. It's a massive, uh, you know, so they're just kind of doing their own, their uh, monsters are due on Maple street. Um, well, I mean, again, it's to immunize them. So yeah. it's, it's being socially engineered. So it's like, so now everybody on the planet is aware that, you know, you can be possessed and then there's certain symptoms if you're possessed. And then there's, uh, that's a thing that everyone's aware that this is now a thing that can happen to you. Are you so, possessed by alien entities? Stop, drop and roll. Yeah. It's more likely than you think. <laughs> um, yeah. Because my brain infested with alien brain bugs? It's more likely than you think. Have you started craving dark matter? Go see your doctor today. Exactly. So <laughs> the whole base would be designed around releasing these parasites and monitoring the small town about it. Uh, and the players would be like, and then the, the person who found the base is like, oh shit. There's going this is this is sort of a scouting force level invasion but I according to these readings from deep you know uh, uh space there's going to be a massive invasion in like 30 years so if we do it now society will have time to prepare and build these protocols and institutions and uh you know like uh deal with it um if we do nothing everyone's going to get take brain bugs you know so. I, I kind of like it. It's that, uh, again, spoilers for a movie that's more than a year old now, but kind of the arrival, a thing with Arrival. So that they're, with the aliens, that they came here and were trying to say, like, hey, we're going to need you in a thousand years. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, from here's the aliens' your, point of view. Here's yeah. your time vision. Yeah, so... so. Yeah, so exactly. Except we're yeah, we're now the aliens uh, in this scenario, but we're also ourselves. So yeah. or like the heroes are the aliens, and you know people are people. So um, yeah, that's the 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 sort of. Um, 
dilemma, and that that was the that's the genesis of the base. So everything flows from that. So like, there's defenses to make sure the brain bugs don't infect the heroes who are running the base, and then there's um, all these other things. So uh, of course, then the scenario is more about like the the ethics of you know infesting a small, causing a small town, <laughs> a small scale, basically existential threat you know like uh, yeah uh for the greater good you know <laughs> uh and seeing how players respond to that so um so yeah so that that's kind of the idea in fact i had because the game was canceled i didn't fully develop so we could talk about it now so <laughs> uh let's let's kind of talk about it so uh, I told you the function of it. So, uh, Sean, do you want to do one of the other uh, features? Uh, let's see. We ha- kind of have the history of it, actually, also. Sort of. Yeah, um, a little bit. Well, oh, actually, no, I didn't. That that was how it was built, but I don't know. I didn't specify uh, what it happened to in the year after Ragnarok. So what kind of asshole does this? Um. Yeah, well, yeah, we didn't talk about who built it either. So, yeah, so it, I mean, could be in- person, it could be like some kind of, uh, I don't know, somebody who'd see themselves as from a more medical point of view. Yeah. So some kind of healing based superhero, maybe, or a ruthless one. Like yeah, I could see Batman doing this. Yeah. yeah or true. somebody who is a precogging somewhere, so, yeah. uh, thinking that they that this is the or best. Or Re- Reed Richards. Or a time absolutely a time traveler. Absolutely. A time, oh, traveler. A time traveler could have done Mar- Marvel. Oh yeah, great. Cable. Yeah. Could yeah. just come back in time to prevent this. All right. Well, let's. Problem. Okay. So we have a lot of candidates. So yeah. Which which one will will uh, will who who built this? Uh, okay, it doesn't, depends on how villainous we want to go. If we go full on, no, this well, is heroes. This is okay. done by the heroes. This is sanctioned by the uh, uh, ideal. Well, well, he, let's drop the ruthless. Say it's somebody who's being, uh, but they're being a bit practical. Okay, less, less light difference there. I, I'm kind of. I, I know it's because I came up with it, but I'm kind of liking the idea of the guy who comes back in time because they are a problem in the future. Only he doesn't realize, you know, because of you know Ragnarok happens, he doesn't realize that he potentially might have started it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. There we go. All right. So the time travel. So we're doing uh, we're doing a cable uh, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we have a time traveler hero from the future who built this to protect against the future invasion of alien brain bugs, and we'll just call them brain bugs. Um, All right. So we have that. Uh, So what happened to it in the year after Ragnarok, Aaron? Oh, so was it totally sealed and left intact until? Uh, I'm going to say iconoclast the uh, super science uh, hero from Base Raiders who. No, I'm actually going to say the, is the one who finds it. Uh, uh, oh, Iconoclast is the one who finds it. Yeah, uh, for the for my scenario, Iconoclast eventually finds it and is the one to start the scenario by, "Hey, come help me deal with this threat." Okay, so um I'm going to say yeah, I'm going to actually say immediately that she starts just disseminating this information around because she's Well, did well, oh, okay. This uh, is a year later. Oh, the year later. So, so, did anything happen between uh when Ragnarok happened and when Iconoclast found it? Okay, actually I'm going to say that she wasn't actually the first person to find it. Okay. Uh there were a group of, you know, uh vagrants hobos that ended up just fi- <laughs> just normal people. Just normal people okay. that ended up uh squatting in there because they needed some place like in Sean's scenario, didn't really what they found uh, and managed to stumble upon the neural interface that imprinted this warning on there. So they just decided to start. They decided they needed to stop it in their own way. Okay. Um, interesting. So what are they doing? Are did they get did they get infested with brain bugs? The brain bugs that are in uh, containment, or did they? Um, uh, I would say yes. Actually, I will do that. There's like okay. one in stasis that the time traveler ended up bringing back because he needed a physical specimen to say, "Here, see, this is real." And well, remember the idea is that they they infest. It's a vaccine, so that you yeah. have to actually 
give the people brain bugs, but it's a weakened brain bug invasion. So, so a tiny uh, outbreak. Yeah, tiny outbreak ends up going yeah. out. So yeah. So we, okay. we have the first outbreak before. Uh, okay, so the hobos maybe. get infected with it. Yes. Okay. Um, how did the hobos get in? Uh, so for that, because um, I mean, you would assume that there would be locks and you know voice prints and uh, there would be. I, uh, for this one, and because we're saying this is set up by the time traveler, yeah, uh, it is his direct descendant. Or sorry, his direct <laughs> oh. ancestor. So okay, so he passes one. the genetic thing. <laughs> Gotta love the uh, the irony there. Okay, yeah. all right, he, all right. He sneezes he on the lock. He that's, did. that's pretty clever. <laughs> yeah. He like pees that. on the lock. Genetic. <laughs> I wasn't going with that. But yeah. uh, genetic uh, code recognized. <laughs> door opening. Ammonia <laughs> level correct. <laughs> Guys, come in. It's air conditioned. It's the nice. Future, the future is truly bleak if we're detecting people based off of their their urine. Look, there's okay. all sorts of Mr. Pool well, available. The tech is so advanced. It's smart. It it just like oh new new bio, 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 uh, biological sample detected. Analyzing. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, what are we going to call this time travel? By the way. Uh, oh, uh, rope. Rope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cord? I don't know. Cord. I like cord. I like cord. All right. So cord. Uh, hello, cord. You know, it's like what? Oh, uh, sure. Okay, guys, come on in. And then they go in. And it's like, oh, this is nicer than the you know tunnel we've been hiding in. And uh, then uh, they someone pushes the wrong button and the brain bugs get out. Yep. Okay. So it's like, hey, does this dispense a pie? No. <laughs> so, All right. So, I heard these space raiders make money by just coming in and pushing buttons. I push the buttons. <laughs> Where's uh, my money? <laughs> by the way, so where is this located? Is this uh, obviously the function is to infest a small town? Is it near the small town or is it far away? I should think it should be close enough to the small town, but in isolated enough small town, like somewhere in the middle of Wyoming or something. Uh, okay. I put it more in line to Michigan, I was especially thinking, where there could be a thinking, lot of uh, infrastructure. I would say to keep it away from that because you want to have a controlled infestation. Okay, so maybe an old corn processing plant? Something? I don't know. So Okay. Um, well, there have to be a homeless camp nearby because, you know, so... Uh, of course, this is the f- grim, dark future. So, or this is not—it's not the grim, dark future. It's sort of the, supposed to be modern day, but with superheroes. Uh, so, yeah. So, there's a homeless camp near in a small town in Wyoming, and uh, it's along a train line. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's near Oosh. trains. Yeah. Hobo it's connection ne- established. Yeah, it's near a train yard, and uh, the the hobos were from the train, and they peed on it. And uh, <laughs> oh god, Ross, a yeah. number one detected. A number one detected. There you go. Oh well. Uh, so they get in, um, Ember of the North Protocol activated. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. So the inhabitants, we kind of figured out there's the brain bugs and there's the hobos. We'll say they're locked in. Uh, the defenses did kick in cause it detected an outbreak. So the every, it's on lockdown. Um, and that's when, uh, Iconoclast picked up on it because when it's on lockdown, it emits more radi- em- emits more heat. Uh, so she picked up, there's a massive underground heat. Source mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. So she checked out back and then she hacked into it remotely uh, to figure out what was going on. And so she's like, oh shit, I can't do this. I don't know what's in there. What We need to go deal with that. And I need to go get my f- some friends to go help with us, hence the PCs. Yep. Um, so let's talk about loot and defenses. Uh, what other loot and what other defenses are there? Well, this is a time traveler's uh, holdaway. And he's probably going to have some stuff just for fighting. Mind control mm-hmm. and uh, alien pests. Okay. Uh, so what kind of form is the, are these drugs? Are these like devices? Are these, I, w- I want to say cybernetic like, implants, maybe something energy based. 
Like and, you, you would have like certain devices that you would have to have to use. So like a a, a ray gun, essentially. Yeah, you got a ray gun that can like or an, filter or, or an emitter, like yeah. a like a a like a little device that projects an energy field that yeah. uh, frees you of brain bug infestation. Um, yeah, some of those. I think I don't know, though, some of those might be biological weapons that, if released, either so some in drugs. A, yeah, drugs or like a, something Chemicals. in a, a gaseous form that would oh, yeah. force. Uh, it's like that would make the host uninhabitable for the bugs. Okay, so there's a gas. All right. Uh, what other defenses? Because uh, you don't want just anybody getting in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh God! <laughs> other than the chosen one. What if one? there was a time lock? Like you walk into a certain area and you're stuck. Mm. Okay, that could be like a unless you hack it or you you have to to hack it, brute force it, break it, somehow figure Um, out how to stop it. Are there any sentient defenses or like uh, more like turrets or death bots or? Because you gotta have something wandering around there that's pissed off. That Actually, because just to make sure I understand. Well, there's brain bug infested hobos. Yeah. yeah. Well, just to make sure I understood when you said time lock, literally a, a temporal lock where you're just. There's like there. a zone that is locked in time. Okay, then actually you have one oh, of the. Stasis eight. trap kind of. Yeah. yeah. So okay. you, actually, in that case, you'd have maybe another a John Connor or Kyle Reese like basically in, sta- in stasis who's released into there. So future soldier that will come okay. out. Okay. So is he fighting a one man war against the, the brain bug hobos? But yes. he also thinks you're an intruder. Oh yeah, that's true. So then you okay. you have to gain his trust. All right, uh, or or just take him out. Yeah. True. So so it's a three way fight. Um, and let's see what. Yeah, we haven't talked about the brain bugs because obviously they're a defense in the sense mm-hmm. that they're they're going to be hostile. Uh, they're going to be trying to escape too. I think they might have something a little more than they got to be more threatening than just we possess people. Sure, they probably have some kind of psychic blast. Okay, yeah, they got to be scary, and they probably enhance the hobo strength a little bit. Just make sure you know. Yeah. I'm immune to psychic crap. Obviously, there's okay. more brain bugs they've been spawning. True. Um, there's a food replicator, obviously. Too. Oh, actually, if if they do have, uh, yeah, a replicator or some other non-scarcity um, 3D printer, uh, maybe actually re- that's like saving that as um, making different. Uh, it's like either Earth-based versions of themselves, something that's a little bit weaker, but they can be used as a shock troop. Okay. Yes, um, what if the psychic blocking drug? Or you mean whatever? like a robot? A uh, robot or maybe a cyborg of some sort. Okay. So what that, are they using? What are they getting the the, the meat parts from? Uh, well, <laughs> if they're using any of the hobos that weren't. Uh, okay. Weren't so okay the for hobos candidates. are now cyborg hobos. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Alien infested cyber hobo. All right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> a new character. Uh, <laughs> so the brain bugs. Um, how intelligent are they? Do they make the human host more intelligent, or are they uh, just have the exact same skills of the hobos? What if they have kind of a collective uh, psychic uh, network? So the more the, of them are, the smarter they, they are. Yeah. Okay. And so if you let it go for too freaking long because you're dickering around with things, they will get smarter. Then you have the overmind. Well, so. I would say they're probably as smart as they are because maybe it's based on the number of hosts. So it's like a server farm. So basically, okay. yeah, that's what I was thinking. You get enough of those together, it'll... Right. Well, they don't have any more hosts to take. It'll boost processing power once they can, if they can get out into the town. If they can get out of yeah. town, then it's... <laughs> then, yeah. So if the players fuck up, see a thing, and no, wait, we're going to be careful and back off. Well, that's the thing is like, if they escape, then they'll leave the base... And then the players can be like, well, we can then iconoclast be like, well, let's just go retake this base and go read on those instructions how to do the protocol because we really need to do it and really need to make sure that people are aware of this problem. So you've just basically jump-started the uh, uh, Cassandra vaccine. It, it, while Farmington went, uh, it's like Wyoming suddenly becomes the server. I mean, that was, that, was, that was the pro- that was the 
goal all along. <laughs> yeah. But you have to you, follow through. You have so. to follow through, but you've you haven't read anything, you don't know what the protocols are, you haven't practiced at all, so you're just like reading it blindly and like yeah, yeah trying to like from an old government manual. It's like you know, it's like that trope of like the the pilot dies and like some passenger has to be talked down into landing the plane. So like you're yeah. just doing that only with <laughs> Brain bugs that could take over the world. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And if the players screw it up, they <clears throat> essentially maintain that future. Yeah. Yeah. So can you change the future or not? Uh, oh, yeah, so. so, yeah, that was a really good, yeah, uh, really fun <laughs> little uh, <laughs> way of doing that. Um, so that's kind of the technique. I think um, there's a lot of different ways to approach this problem in general, but I think focusing on one specific thing and going on the next one is sort of the best way for this. There's uh, a couple of other like source of inspiration you can use. We did, I don't think we've mentioned. Which, yeah, yeah. One of them is, uh, for example, a thing I've been doing for some games is just as a gig, it's a bit of a giggle, old album covers, especially mm-hmm. prog rock album covers yes. are fun for shit yeah. like that. Uh, that can give you some amazing imagery, like a flamingo flying in front of some weird machine in front of an escalator. How do I make this make sense out of this? Yeah. If you're really feeling, feeling a challenge, but the other idea, look at old, actually already established dungeons for D and D and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. see how you can make that into more of a modern thing. So I threw out the joking idea of if you wanted to make an entire campaign out of one, uh, one, base just where they just keep going back in there's different factions mm-hmm. uh, you could look at something like yeah. temple of elemental evil yeah let's just come up with that let's start with that inspiration and so how would this even happen what if one of the build a base factories because something has to make these mm-hmm. went rampant and nobody noticed well actually i already had oh, you um All right. well uh as an idea i had i never followed through on it but like one of the uh, original stretch goals for the base raiders campaign was actually um avalon's fortress avalon was the superman equivalent uh in base well, he raiders. He had his well, own fortress of solitude. Um, and so, like, that would have been essentially a mega dungeon along the Temple of Elemental Evil line, where, like, he has, like, this part of the, the you know, he had his alien zoo and all the critters got out and the sentient ones rounded everybody up to, you know, run it like Animal Farm. In this wing, they have the Avalon bots, which are all, Aval- you know, robotic duplicates of Avalon. Not nearly as powerful as he is, but, you know, yeah. they control this wing. And then, of course, we have base raiders coming in another wing, just trying to, you know, rip the copper wiring out of the walls. Um, of this Arctic base. Um, and so, yeah, it's a massive mega dungeon and with different factions that all hate each other um, as you're going, yeah, doing that. So that so, was my initial idea. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that. it's just kind of that same idea. I mean, you, again, And that you, could have been the place where they built the build of bases too. So like, uh, yeah. it was the only secure place. Yeah, or uh, taking on the ideas for either uh, D&D or other fantasy base because I still forget the name of the title. What was the, the ones, the Dwarven City that essentially was the giant robot? I cannot remember the name. Um, of it. Oh, well, we we reviewed on after yeah, hours. Yeah, we reviewed off yeah. after hours. So, um, um, oh, but, yeah. but we know the con- so It the was base- done by Dave Zebko. I think it was like Earthshaker. Or Earthshaker something. or something. So, yeah. but yeah, the base. If you didn't listen to that after hours episode, is that there's a dwarven city that essentially is just a giant clockwork. I think robot. it was gnome actually or gnome. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but that could be another interesting one where uh, a base is literally a giant mech that ends up emerging from the sea. A listener actually did make that. Oh. I played it at a Gen Con. Oh, never mind then. Uh, I, was I, that Micah? Yes, it yeah, was. Yes. And I'm plagiarizing off of Micah. So. Oh, no, no, no. It's, 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 a good, it's a common idea that people have. Like, yeah. Ross and I both had the massive mega base thing. So, mm-hmm. so Well, in this case, you could put a timetable on it because I don't know what happened in Micah's. Mine is kind of, you know, it emerges from the sea and starts walking across the, the continent like uh, unlike the uh, the whale from the tick, and then you have to actually get in there and stop it or find what you can from it before it goes back into the Atlantic. We had mm-hmm. to uh, clear it out of par- clear out parasites and such and get it running again. 
so that we could, uh, I mean, it's going from room to room, sector to sector. And so we could pilot against a kaiju. Yeah. So right, I mean, there was a, a bigger goal. <laughs> Again, no, but that's still some of the base structure and yeah. it had a whole backstory and who mm-hmm. built it and why. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I think you add a lot of in that again, the, the, the sort of the blanks fill themselves in with something like that. Like yeah. it's a giant robot. It was built to fight Kaiju or, you know, fight other alien invaders or whatever else. And it was built by this guy. And here the defenses are obviously very obvious, you know, point defense systems, you know, smaller robots inside, um, inhabitants or whoever, you know, broke into it originally or other robots, uh, yeah, no, it, it kind of writes itself. Uh, yeah. And in that one, you also have an uh, interesting thing of the timetable because it's moving uh, and it's going to interact with the world, so to speak. So, <laughs> like, uh, is the Navy going to fucking launch a nuke at it, you know, uh, just to get rid of it? Because, oh, God, it's a giant robot. It's going to destroy our cities. <laughs> we need to stop it now. You oh, know, that well, kind of any town USA is small enough and the robot's next to it. But whatever. Yeah, it's it's got that town's got brain bugs anyway. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> uh, It'll so, be okay yeah. 20 years from now. It's, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, imagery work uh, not, uh, uh, as a related thing. Like, if you have one idea for a particular room, you know, like, uh, like an idea like, oh, it would be a really cool battle scene if they were, you know, uh, in a uh, room without gravity and like it was a 3D, you know, it was a, a, a zero G danger room. Uh, but it was real and, you know, it could 3D print obstacles as you were going through or use hard light or whatever. Uh, and then just build it from that thing. Um, so yeah, if you had some just cool idea for a scene, just build it up from that. So, um, uh, yeah, like, oh, it's actually, when you step in, it looks like you're on a rooftop and you're, it's moon, the moon, the full moon is out, and you have a katana in hand, and there's another guy with a trench coat, and he's coming at you. And this is how the base starts. And you're like, what? And it's so cool. So like, or how- it starts with a hub. What's the hub? The hub is a bar in the middle of the entire base with, I don't know, some kind of illusion, illusion shadow thing. You have to figure out how to interact with the, with the system that way. Every, every inhabitant of the bar is a part of the system. They ask you to do things in the side rooms. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, that's a great idea. Yeah, start with the bar, yeah. yeah. Um, or uh, one I can think of is that we're talking about the hard light aspect of it. Um, say that there's a mystery where buildings are literally disappearing out of a town. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Say it's a larger town, kind of like Springfield here, and you're trying to figure out, and you end up going into the base figuring out it literally is generating hard light constructs for this entire town, and it is failing. So oh. are you just... Oh, yeah, the entire town. The entire, the, place. the entire place is people are actually living there, but, you know, you're dealing with, you know... Their homes actually disappearing and falling to their deaths. Or how long or, have you been living here? Oh, the town's been around since 1983. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then what you have to figure it out. Do you somehow figure out a way to maintain it? Do you try to profit off of it, or mm-hmm. do you try to just, just destroy it and steal the technology and leave these people to yeah. die? And from there, you can figure you can fill in the blanks of like work your way back to like who built it, why did why did they build it. Yeah. Um, what other defenses are there? Why is it still around, you know, in this state? Um, yeah, just asking logical questions, like start with something and then work your way either forwards or backwards. On how do I explain this shit? Yeah. How do I explain that shit? Um, and make sure everything is something that players can sort of at least partially figure out. They don't need to figure out all the details. You know, they don't need to like for the brain bug base. You don't need to figure out how to, well, we already told them how they got the brain bug. The time travel brought it in, but you know, how the time travel, time travel there. Why isn't he just time traveling all his problems away? Why didn't he know about <laughs> Ragnarok? Well, 
blah, blah, blah. You don't yeah. need to explain everything. So, uh, but enough that the base has a sort of logical consistent consistency to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll have some, uh, well, we're doing, uh, Bree Sheldon's interview. The uh, we'll have shout outs and anecdotes. Hey, this is Ross, and we're doing a new segment for this episode of RPPR. Uh, we are interviewing a game designer and talking about their Kickstarter uh, project, which is coming out uh, October 31st, I believe. Uh, well, the project launches on October 31st. It's called Turn. It's a game about werewolves in small towns. And I have with me uh, Bree Sheldon, the uh, writer, the creator of the game. Hi, I'm Bree Sheldon. I'm game designer, journalist and altogether messy person. <laughs> My pronouns are they, them, or he, him. And uh, I'm excited to talk today. Yeah. Uh, so give us the elevator pitch for Turn. So Turn is a slice of life, quiet drama, supernatural role-playing game set in small rural towns where you play shapeshifters that can shapeshift into a variety of animals. And... Um, it basically is about exploring identity and finding balance while also finding community. Okay. Uh, is this, does this use its own original system or is it based on a uh, existing framework? It's pretty much original system. Um, it was originally based on destructive design of monster hearts, but it's come very far from there. Um, so the only similarity is like the die type and that you have stats and abilities. Okay. So, uh, so tell us a little, uh, in terms of like, so you talk about just dis destructive design or, uh, yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, uh, in terms of like how you started at monster hearts and then you got to, uh, I mean, this could sounds like the kind of game you actually, or at least in terms of setting, you could run at monster hearts, but, uh, if it was set in a high school in, in a small town, but, uh, this is more slice of life meets lycanthropy. Basically, yeah. So system-wise, um, I had I played Monster Hearts in like 2012, um, and I was unsatisfied with some of the stuff I experienced while playing it. And what I wanted was a slower-paced game about adults and having them experience, you know, the the struggle differently and focusing specifically on shapeshifters. So. Mm -hmm. um, I basically spent a really long period of time breaking down how Monster Hearts, work, Hearts works, um, like how the different pieces of the game fits together. And then I picked and chose things that I liked and then modified them, and uh, it became just this entirely different beast. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes for a much calmer game uh, overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Monster Hearts is about, you know, the trouble, you know, the... The uh, God, how would you characterize high school? Uh, chaos. Uh, so, yeah. um, yeah, I could see th uh, that's not for everybody. Um, yeah, but. it's turn is a lot. Um, there's still a lot of drama, but it's a different kind of drama. It's very much everyday things that people encounter, like getting a phone call from a bill collector and how do you handle that when you'd really like to be curled up in a cave somewhere? Um, <laughs> 
It sounds pretty weird whenever I put it that way. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, a lot, tabletop RPGs are uh, can be pretty weird in general. Um, uh, and I think that's sort of the appeal is to have sort of a niche thing that isn't, uh, you know, something that's overrepresented. Um, so slice of life games, I feel, are a very underserved portion of the market in general. Uh, I think there's more appeal for them than people would know. Uh, I know a lot of my friends tend to have games where a lot of it is just kind of hanging out and interacting with, you know, the interesting NPCs that have been built into the game. And rather than like, we must do the plot immediately uh, yeah, and throw ourselves into it. So um, how long did it take you to sort of get from, I didn't like, you know, Monster Hearts was interesting, but I wanted to change it to, it's kind of, you said you, the, the text was sort of in its final form. Yeah. Uh, um so I kept everything in my head and did it or write it down for between 2013 and 2016, uh, the end of the year. And um, then I just wrote like a whole bunch of stuff in like two weeks and had a workable game to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the past two years, I've done a bunch of playtesting. And um, I'm basically at the point where the, there's nothing more that needs to be done to make it a game that can kickstart and, and be bought and played. Um, it just is with an editor, basically, like <laughs> I have it with uh Tracy Barnett as my editor, and they're wonderful mm-hmm. um and I have uh John Sheldon as my developmental editor as well. They've both been really instrumental in making it to the product it is and um so it it was a long period, like I worked on it for a really long time in my head, in like spare notes on notepads in various places, but never officially wrote anything down for. Mm-hmm like many years mm-hmm. uh so did you have it uh play tested by other groups as well um a couple of other groups have play tested it um jason morningstar actually took it to his group and play tested it and um found out why i specifically call out it has a very different tone <laughs> <laughs> um he jason is wonderful and i'm i was really excited that he played but um his group goes for a much more high drama vibe Mm-hmm. Then the game is really designed for. So it was fun to see how that played out in playtest. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I played it with groups of variety of sizes, um, like down to two players and up to like four. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually took it to Big Bad Con this weekend. And uh, that was really exciting because it basically played out perfectly. And um, it's it's always been in pretty good shape. Like that sounds kind of weird to say, but... Um, I knew pretty clearly how I wanted things to work whenever I started writing it down mm-hmm. and it's just really paid off like really well that the game just functions the way I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so pretty much everyone who's played it has had that experience. I know that it actually was taken to a con in Italy, uh, not too long ago. And, um, a group there is starting their own game right now. Um, yeah, with the with the beta version that's out online. That's great. So uh, tell us a little bit about the game mechanics themselves. Like, how are they different? Uh, like, how do you how do you make a game about slice of life that uh, mechanically does it sort of I- emphasize or encourage uh, the slower pace that you're trying to go for? Chris. So the first thing I did is you always succeed at whatever you're trying to do. Um, <laughs> the roles you make are not about whether you succeed or fail. 
mm-hmm. care about what consequences there are from your actions. Okay. Um, and this changes how people approach situations like so drastically. Like it makes things that would be dramatic into just like, oh, I'm going about my normal business kind of deal. And um, so the the die rolling is um, it's 3D6, one of which is optional. Um, you use it whenever you can like activate powers from the opposing opposing form that you're in. So mm-hmm. if you're in human form and you can be like, well, I have this power on my beast sheet because you have two character sheets. Um, you can say, I'm going to use the turn die. And that's what that third die is. And um, this basically makes it more likely for you to get positive results, but you take a stress whenever you do that. And mm-hmm. stress is like, as it adds up, it makes you likely to force turn into your opposite form. Okay. So do players have an option of like, oh, I didn't want to pay that consequence. Can I not do that then? Or is it like... Um, You can add it before or after the roll. Okay. um, To use the turn die. Like it's it's one of those like you you add it whenever you want throughout the period of the roll. And you also use turn... Like whenever you play turn, you use script change. And with script change, you can rewind a roll back if you're really unhappy with the consequences for some reason. Okay. That's a kind of an essential tool of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, um yeah so what is sort of the central like i guess the the dilemma for the characters is personal is i'm trying to find some sort of balance between their human and uh, uh beast uh, natures or is there right. a larger plot or um there's typically no larger plot beyond what you put into it mm-hmm. um it's it's not a constructed uh adventure or anything like that in the beginning um, a lot of the time we've had, uh, just town issues that are coming up, like a local election that has the potential to make like a wildlife refuge be no longer accessible. Or, um, one of the character's family members is in bad health and they're struggling to find somewhere for them to live and keep their land from being bought out from under them. Mm-hmm. And they can seem really tedious, but like we almost had somebody turn into a bison in the mayor's office one day, <laughs> and it <laughs> it goes from like zero to a hundred with like you know the the kind of panic that would happen if you had that cor- that kind of experience of being this super powered beast stuck in a human body, or sometimes this you know human who can go take a nap take a nap on the couch stuck in the body of a beast who is like at this point like fighting for their lives um mm-hmm. the beast moments are just as like exciting and interesting as it is whenever you're in human form mm-hmm. interesting so um is there sort of a pre-built uh kind of like mythology or setting that explains them or is it more of like a toolkit game where you can sort of like oh this is the cause of why some people are lycanthropes and why some aren't or like uh uh, do you know what i mean so yeah um so turn explicitly comes with no predis like predisposition in regards to where their origins are you define that kind of in play um i wanted really hard to avoid appropriation of Mm -hmm. any other mythologies or anything like that um, because as white people, that is like the majority of the groups I play with, um, we tend to steal things and I didn't really want to do that for my game. So instead, uh, there's the establishment of, you know, this is you, you find this out. This is the answer you find. And, um, 
there's some questions that you asked to explain, like if there's culture of shifters, how this shifting feels. Um, it's called discovering turn. It's a part of the setup um, mm-hmm. and initial play. Okay, so it's like a collaborative create the setting. Yep. Uh, kind of game. So uh, everyone has their answer. Okay. Yeah, games like that uh, can be very rewarding because players, you know, like here's the stuff I like, and now it's in the game, no matter what. Uh, so. Um, Interesting. Are there any other uh, uh, mechanics uh, that you've added that you feel really uh, enhance the game's sort of themes? Or yeah, uh, so there's there's stress, which we talked about a little mm-hmm. bit, um, but there's also exposure, um, and exposure is kind of the core function of the game in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. When you do um, when you when you use your beast powers in human form or in beast form, or whenever you use your human abilities in beast form and everything. Um, and sometimes whenever you use the struggles, which are kind of like the base moves, but they're very different in how they end up functioning, um, you end up risking exposure, which can be positive or negative, and applied to either your NPCs, uh, other animals, or the uh, town itself. And... Um, Basically, it's a uh, little positive and negative marks that you add up, and you can reach the end of the track. And when that happens, you have to like deal with the consequences of that. Okay. Oh, uh, so that like the that sort of the ending of your character story, or they they have to be run out of town, or something like that. You can also be accepted. Um, okay. it, it's possible to find acceptance by NPCs individually or by the town as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will be. Um, it's kind of everyone's on their own track to find out how they're going to be. Uh, the, it's called revealed, reviled, or known. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the different ways that you can be accepted, rejected, or um, kind of tolerated by the okay. town. Is that kind of like the the sort of pre-built sort of campaign ending is like finding out how your character is going to wind up in the town? I think that's that is essentially how it is. Um, not a not a lot of people have played because it is a long play game. Like this mm-hmm. isn't like typically traditional like a two session kind of game. Mm-hmm. It's a, one that you play over time. Our longest campaign actually has been going for over a year, and um, we play very far paced out. Though I will be honest, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you you can have a lot of different ways to come to a conclusion, I think narratively, um, but mechanically, yeah, if you, if you take your exposure to the end, um, it doesn't always happen at the same time for all the characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it can be a real like interesting way to see what happens and, and the fallout uh, of someone being accepted or not accepted. Okay. Uh, uh, Cool. That, I mean, yeah, I like that idea um, of the, that so it's one possible end game, but the players can make up their own sort of end games. Or like, do you have for your your long form playtest campaign? Have have you kind of like got an idea of when it's going to end, or is it just going to end when it's going to end? Um. So my character, my namesake Bo, uh, he he is actually coming to the end of his exposure track. Um. And there are ways that you can reduce it, but they're very complicated. Basically, like not mechanically complicated but narratively to justify how you can erase this kind of effect right Mm -hmm. um like to say well i'm going to make them not think about that anymore it's kind Mm -hmm. of challenging um because the some of the uh some of the character types the roles human roles can 
alter um, exposure a little bit. Um, but he's coming up near the end of it. And this may be like the, where we have to have the conversation of, are we going to keep playing depending on what happens and everything like that. Um, but we've been playing these characters for, for over a year. So like, we're all really uh, in touch with them and, and care about them a lot. So mm. um, you can bring in a new player to replace the character that is fully exposed mm-hmm. um, if you want to do so. So you can have a continued campaign. Um, but how that might play out depends on what the final die roll is that determines, you know, are they revealed, are they reviled, or are they known? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think, I mean, the thing is with a lot of RPGs is they're very sort of mission or quest focus and like you end a campaign after they complete the grand mission. But this, uh, I mean, it sounds like, again, it's just, you just go on, it's just life. It's just seeing what happens to these people uh, in this town. So... Uh, I find that really interesting. So, because um, yeah, I'm so used to doing it the other way around. Uh, yeah, so that, yeah. I'm I'm not a huge fan of like all the time playing games that have quests that have an end. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I want the option to just keep on going and seeing this place explored and and stuff like that. And while it is, I think it is possible if everyone you know did things in the right way, you know, they could get some sort of perfect to them ending for a turn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also possible that some people might just have a town that they keep using um, because the town town building is a huge part of turn. Um, you determine themes and bloodlines and all of this stuff to make towns that are really rich and like strong. And some people just want to keep playing in those, even if their characters are different. Okay. Like bring yeah, retire one character, bring in a new one, see yeah. what happens in season two, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that sounds really cool. So this is coming to Kickstarter October 31st uh, for a month, I assume. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you have any special rewards? As uh, I mean, I, I assume you're, of course, giving out the PDF or, you know, offering the PDF and the book as rewards. Or in the, are there any special rewards you're offering? Um, yeah, so it'll be a PDF and print um, are going to be uh, reward levels. Um, right now, I don't have a, a ton of additional stuff. Uh, my main like stretch goal is just going to full color. Um, the base goal of the Kickstarter is going to be covering um, getting art for the whole book and some poetry uh, by mm-hmm. a poet who grew up around the same small town that I did. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a, a lot of it is just I want to get the book into people's hands in a nice, readable way. Mm-hmm. I'm not big on a lot of fancy stretch goals and rewards. Um, I may be getting a um, stretch goal for a unique town setting mm-hmm. um, that will have some special animals and people. Oh, cool. Um, and you're the only writer on it or are you inviting other designers to work on it? Um, right now it's just me. Um, I, uh, I've been basically trying to get the core game as to its height as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and that there is a big plan of mine that after the game is out, um, I'm going to be trying to get new beasts and towns and stuff made and put up for people to download. Um, but that's the, 
after this gets through Kickstarter and, and everyone can get a copy in their hands to play the base game and mm-hmm. find what they like. <laughs> uh, do you have any artists in mind for your work uh, for the book yet? Yes, actually. I, I currently have draft art, art for two pieces that we'll be using for the Kickstarter promotion. Um, and it's by Reese Harris. They are uh, someone that I know through games and um, through friends. And they're just, they're a fine artist and also do like um, art for like the fairy community and they're extremely skilled. So I'm super excited. Um, and the the poetry is going to be done by AJ Odasso, who is uh, relatively popular in the indie poetry scene. Cool. Well, it sounds like a really fun game um, and I hope it does well. Thank so. you. Uh, and we'll be right back after this uh, with some more RPPR. And we're back. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to put this episode together yet. So whatever the segment was, it was great. I'm sure. Editing. <laughs> yeah, editing is magical. Uh, but we do have shout outs and anecdotes. Uh, so first uh, shout out I'd like to give is a book I finished recently. Uh, and it's about bases in a sense. It's called A Burglar's Guide to the City. Uh, it's a book about how heists and uh, uh, theft, uh, especially burglary particularly, interacts with architecture. Uh, it's an interesting book. It, it goes over a wide variety of topics. Uh, it starts out with this interesting, there's a, there was a guy in the 19th century, uh, George Leslie Leonidas or George Leonidas Leslie, um, who was an architect in New York city who then realized, you know how I could get more money? Stealing from my clients, uh, or well, if you build he's, he's a tra- not, if you build in a trapdoor, you know, he's you know, not wrong, but it's like, hey, I'm trying to build a bank, uh, fellow architect, and I'm having pro- tr- uh, problems with the vault. Can I see the schematics for your vault that you designed for a bank? Yeah, sure, fellow architect. I, here they are. Take a look. Uh, he hooked up with this gang of thieves. Uh, the gang of thieves had a fence uh, who owned warehouses uh, in. Um, Queens, I think, or somewhere, uh, or Long Island or somewhere. And like they built actual duplicates of the places they were going to steal from to rehearse. So this is where that comes from. That, <laughs> that whole trope comes from is he, he would create these very detailed, uh, models that like one to one scale models. So pe- they could rehearse their, uh, heists. Uh, he amazing. Bro- <laughs> he broke into buildings several times to case them just to scout them out before coming in to steal. Um, and yeah, he was the crown prince of the, he would, uh, other gangs would commission him, pay him just to plan their heists. Uh, but he slept with a man's wife and that guy shot him apparently. So he died. Uh, anyways, there's a lot of other interesting stories, uh, things about safe room building, lock picking, um, you know, all kinds of interesting stuff. So uh, uh, d- definitely a must read if you're doing anything about, you know, burglary and shit like that, or, you know, breaking into places or defending against people from breaking into places <laughs> uh, and shit like that. So um, they have a whole section on traps, you know, just like talking about how traps work. And, you know, by the way, they're super illegal. <laughs> you can't build traps that kill people like legally. I, I kind of figured that was already an inherently known. So <laughs> <laughs> you would think, but no. Uh, well, just a case, because that always brings up to the mind of, uh, well, the ultimate car deterrent, the flamethrower. Well, that was South Africa, and that was made illegal in South Africa, too. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, 
as far as I know. So, uh, Sean, you... Uh, I have a couple things that I watched. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which one should I start with? The uh... Uh, the one you just named. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay, so, weeb stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, so, I watched a couple, a couple different anime recently that are mm-hmm. worth noting. There's a whole bunch of, you know, there's usually a whole bunch of crap that comes out. And things that are just way too off. But one of them that had an interesting idea, it came out a couple years ago, was called Kokoku. Uh, kind of translates out to uh, now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole premise is this, and it, it's, it's a tiny minor spoiler for the first episode. There's so much shit that goes on afterwards, so uh, spoiling a first episode shouldn't be too bad because it's the premise. Uh, <laughs> damn it. Um, <laughs> state the obvious. Everybody forgets it. Now, um, so this family's uh, – the main character is this girl who her uh, brother gets – her brother and her – I guess nephew get abducted. Mm-hmm. They don't know by whom they assume it's some kind of local gang thing. And her grandpa says, well, I'll tell you what, don't call the cops. Let me let you in on the family secret. And he takes out this stone with a hole in it and a little bit of writing. Okay. okay you're going to have to cut yourself. We're going to have to bleed into this hole. <laughs> I know they do it. Time stops. Ooh. They're living in a single moment. And if they do, and he's basically advising her not to mess with anybody who's frozen in time because Bad things will happen to you. And they find out quickly that they are not alone in the frozen moment. So their attempt to rescue the uh, the, you know, the family don't go as planned. And they get deeper and deeper into the whole mythology of this. Ooh. It's actually – it's it's more of a sane thing. So it sets yeah. up – you could think there's all kinds of wacky supernatural antics. But not as much as you think. It's pretty straightforward, low-key, and practical. Okay. So worth a shot. Great opening, opening theme, by the way. But – uh. It's a bit of a slow burn, but once you get deeper into the mythology, everything just starts falling together, and they give the whole history of how this happened, but they don't just dump it on you. All they right. give reasons for the reveals. Uh, well, we've got a few so uh, more, so I'll do one, then you can do yeah. one there. Um, so, no, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, I would also talk about uh, a video game I, haven't, I have not yet beaten yet, but I do really like. Uh, it's called Return of the Obra Den. Uh, it is a puzzle game. Uh, made by the guy who did uh, Papers, Please. And it's a very different game because it's 3D, but it, the graphics have been specifically modeled to look like 1980s Macintoshes. Although you can like change the rendering so it looks like a Commodore or an early IBM. So, but it, <laughs> I'm already sold. Yeah. <laughs> Give me that 8-bit. Uh, but it takes place in 1807. Uh, the Oberdin is a ship that was lost, uh, ne- you know, supposed to come back uh, from a, a, a trading mission in 1803. Hasn't been seen since. So four years later, you go on board uh, and you're supposed to figure out and you're an insurance investigator. You're supposed to figure out what happened to all 60 people on board the ship. Normally, that would be impossible because there's just corpses there, uh, skeletal corpses. But you have this cursed uh, pocket watch that you can uh, use to look at. a. You can see a person's uh, last moment of life. Uh, so you can go and you can also f- summon up the ghostly remains of other people. People have been, you know, thrown off the ship or whatever. Uh, so you can find out what happened to them. So you basically watch the, you, uh, you, uh, hear the last 10 seconds of your life. Then you see the last moment of their life and you can walk around and see what, what else is going on in that. And from that, you're supposed to piece together who is who, how they died and who killed them if they were killed. Uh, and you do this for all 60 people. Um, so it's, it's basically one massive interconnected logical puzzle. Endurance, endurance mode clue. Um, yeah, not, it, I know it's a bit. bit no, no, no. It is, it is. It is the same kind of logic as clue uh, in some ways, but like in others, it's like, oh, that guy is wearing an apron, a leather apron, and he is cutting a cow's throat. And I'm guessing he's the butcher. 
of the ship, the guy who has the butcher's job. So I'm just going to assign him that name uh, and we'll see if that works. Um, it sounds really awesome, actually. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's really engaging and engrossing. So, uh, yeah, I really like it. It's 20 bucks right now. I'm sure it'll go on sale, but you like puzzles and stuff. And sounds uh, like a lot of a lot of good content for at least the 20 if you decide to purchase it full price. Yeah, it's um, also. Yeah, it's there. It's there's no time limit. You can spend as much time as you want to going back and forth. So there's. Yeah, you can beat it whenever you and like after apparently after a certain point, you can just quit early and just give up or you can just keep going until you figure everything out. Hmm. So, yeah. So I different endings. Uh, Aaron, you had one. Uh, yeah, I uh, recently ended up finding uh, a pretty interesting channel uh, over on YouTube called Men of the West. Uh, it's been going on, I think, for about three years and YouTube just decided to, hey, we're going to dump this into your queue. So. Um, they primarily do uh, retrospectives on Tolkien, so all of the characters' uh, biographies and whatnot. But the interesting thing that they, this, the main guy of this does is uh, what-if scenarios. And I'm always uh, interested in hear with those. But it, I like that they actually go farther in depth than just saying, here's what this character did, and this would be the reactions of it. <laughs> I've seen a lot of those, unfortunately, that don't put a lot of effort into it. Um, he actually, it seems like he's writing it out in Tolkien style and then narrates that as well, along with um, the analyses of the different characters. Uh, one of the coolest ones I, the two coolest ones I love is that one of uh, if Saruman claimed the ring for himself, which ended up being pretty, uh, it's uh, pretty uh, dire for that saying like, yeah, he pretty much imprisoned and killed everybody. And then, uh, I don't want to fully spoil the end for it, but uh, it it did kind of go into a full-on end-time scenario, which was interesting. Uh, the one I will kind of spoil only just because it's interesting. Would, I would encourage you to listen throughout from this is the one if they tried to send the ring to the West, that if they actually took it into the Grey Havens and said, hey, Valar, you deal with this shit uh, while we do this. And it uh, the fuller of it ended up being a negative scenario where again it was a it was a mounting loss cuz Sauron's link to the world was still there but it ended up with with Gandalf essentially uh, on the shore saying well this is it but the Valar saying, coming in saying you're going to die sorry but we're going to come in and clean up your crap this is going we understand it's like we can't have this in in the undying lands but we'll come in to uh, take care of this for you so everything's going to be okay sorry for the inconvenience <laughs> Um, but to get in the the effort that the that the puts in for not only the narration but the uh, that's like the analysis of this is really interesting. So I would highly recommend those, especially if you like what if scenarios, but also just the retrospectives as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, I have one more, mm-hmm. um, which is the another one that starts with the turn. Uh, <laughs> Return to the Thirty Six Chamber, which is the movie, not the album from Old Dirty Bastard. Uh, just to specify, I've been on a kick of watching all old Shaw brother movies. Um, cause I haven't seen, there's a whole trilogy of 36 chamber movies. There's the, you know, the 36 chamber return of the 36 chamber and disciples of the 36 chamber of Shaolin. Um, and, uh, I'd seen the first one, but I hadn't seen the last two. And they're, they're both on Amazon prime. So return is an interesting movie because it's structurally and it's, it's quite entertaining. So it starts like in the first movie, it stars Gordon Liu as the, the monk Santee and he's, you know, saving the people from the bad guys uh, after he learns Shaolin Kung Fu. Uh, in this one, he, Gordon Liu plays an actor who's friends to workers of this textiles factory. And the textiles factory owner is an asshole. who's like, well, I'm going to cut your pay 20%. Why to pay these Manchu uh, thugs with, with staffs to uh to beat the hell out of you that's what i'm gonna do 
Uh, and they're like, no, we don't want that. Well, well I guess I'm going to have to beat the hell out of you then. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they enlist the act, but the Manchus are afraid of the Shaolin temple because you know Shaolin Kung Fu is better than everything uh, so they they convince Gordon Liu the actor to portray to pretend to be a priest of Shaolin uh, and then they, they actually help him perform a bunch of tricks to like you know jump from a tree with a wire to look like he can jump really high and that kind of thing um, and to convince the Manchus well if you don't pay them their full amount I'll kick the crap out of you but the boss's boss sees through that and get you know everyone gets the crap kicked out of him um, <laughs> and so his friend so the good the actor feels really bad about this and his friends like, well why don't you go to the shallow temple and actually learn kung fu and he's like well i guess i will um and so he he sneaks in there multiple times right and eventually just pretending to be a student just you know it's literally fake it till you make it <laughs> um and the the monk uh the santee monk uh uh who's played by a different actor this time is like yeah i saw through that and you ate a lot of food while you were here pretending to be a monk uh or a student um so i want you to repair the the roof of this uh, temple by building scaffolding around it uh bamboo scaffolding and he's like, uh, well, okay. Uh, and so he spends a year doing this in this uh, elaborate montage where he's watching them practice in the courtyard and building scaffolding. So he's, he's learning Kung Fu on his own, essentially by mimicking what they're doing and doing this badass bamboo scaffolding techniques. And then at the end of, but he doesn't realize it. And he doesn't at the end of it, he's like, um, <laughs> uh, well, the man monk say, all right, get out. Well, you're not going to teach me Kung Fu. No. Uh, <laughs> and I guess I'm explaining the entire plot of the movie, but it's really entertaining. Uh, you should watch it uh, because, again, it's just this fascinating, like, the guy who fakes it until he literally does make it. And he comes up with scaffolding kung fu. He works scaffolding techniques into his kung fu, like tying up his enemies with bamboo and shit like that. Like... <laughs> Uh, it's quite entertaining. Sounds uh, amazing. It's, it's yeah. It's on Amazon Prime. It's free. It returned to thirty six chambers. So. Well, Kung Fu does mean hard work, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, he does a lot of hard work in yeah. the movie. So he he is quite oiled up and so uh, uh, exercising. Quite I'm a bit. sure there's like a scene of Santino that are going. Yep, you're you're learning. Get the hell out. Yeah, he, there's a couple of smirks, <laughs> but he doesn't tell the guy. Yeah, he, he doesn't tell him like you already know Kung Fu. He's just like no. But I like the idea of like go, Shaolin go, go loves out. head games. They love fucking with the minds. It's of a shit. very Taoist thing. Divine yeah. jackassery is a thing. I mean, it yeah. really is. Look yeah, they're yeah. It's 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 quite entertaining. Disciples is also interesting to watch, but you know, it's kind of a hot mess in some ways. So, anyways, uh, you had one more. Yes, uh, more weep stuff. Um, <laughs> Okay, it was it was kind of a big ticket item for people that were like keeping their ear to it. Uh, Hataraku Saibo uh, sells at work, which yeah, I know it's kind of bland. It's one of those semi edutainment shows, you know, based off a of manga where st- some author did a shit ton of research on a thing and decided to make an entire story out of it, <laughs> you know, but with like mild anime exaggerations of the character of like actual aspects of it. In this case, it's the functioning of the human body, how the cells work. Oh, yeah, man. So, like, the red blood cells are all a little bit derpy, and they run around, and they're just delivery people. Some, like, the main character one gets lost all the time. Uh, the white blood cells are kind of made up, made up of these, like, knife-wielding psychopaths who just kill everything they don't like. <laughs> T-cells are more like a military structure. The weirdest part was the uh, – I forget the actual actress, voice actress's name, but she basically was the archetypal big sister for everything from the 80s onward in all anime. Uh, 
played the uh, macrophage cells who are all dressed like maids wielding nasty looking weapons who just show up actually nice and fuck up everything in their path. So, I mean, it's, it's got a bit of exaggeration, but it goes over basic bodily functions, how your immune system works, how your blood system works. Uh, the platelets are basically little kids who do arts and crafts to fix your body, <laughs> you know, and they do various arcs are going to be, you know, different types of bacteria happening or whatnot. Uh, what a scrape looks like from their, their perspective. It's a massive hole in a hole that like sucks everything out. Uh, it's kind of a fun watch. It's not ama- amazing, but it's, it's, it is kind of cool. I did kind of think it would be an interesting alt setting for paranoia, but, uh, then again, there's an alternate comic that's been approved by the original author called uh, Hataraku Saibo Black that's not a well-functioning human body. It's somebody who just, uh, I wouldn't say lives the good life, but basically drinks too much, smokes too much, does all this shit. The body's constantly in a, uh, constantly a mess. They're explaining what's happening from that perspective. And then, you know, at one point he catches an STD. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it does sound fun. Um, I'm not gonna. Uh, it's, it's, it's not the, the paranoia most, idea is really good. Yeah. Like it's it. just like restructure. It could be an interesting yeah. uh, entry point for a different game. But mm-hmm. you could actually do something like that in Eclipse Phase, where the characters are just like nano machines <laughs> inside someone's body. Actually, that could be pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> Eclipse Phase, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's it for shout outs. Uh, but we uh, have an anecdote. Uh, oh, so, God. uh, I've been running the scum and villainy campaign, uh, yep. for the group called the, they're the oddballs. They're doing the weird jobs. Um, and so, uh, you guys have, uh, made an enemy, uh, for so reason. Yeah, we, we did. So the way this started was, um, <laughs> You know, if you hand me a tank, I will use it. If you hand me an artillery, something's going to blow up. If you hand me a character who t- ends up being the face of the group, I will lie. <laughs> I will tell some doozies, because why not? So at some point, uh, to convince oh, some pirates, oh, I forget exactly the first session, to convince some pirates to be out of their base or something, or to engage in some kind of a thing to knocked down a fast and the furious operation we we're setting up. I th- picked up a name and lied about who I was. And I claimed to be this guy, laser chainsaw <laughs> who apparently killed off an orphanage or something. I forget. He did something really fucked up. An orphanarium. Yeah. Orphanarium, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then I just blamed all the damage and misunderstandings on him before we left to get the heat off of us. Mm-hmm. So he's not happy and he has a bounty in that system. Of course, he's a very dangerous person. You'd have to be to continue using the name Laser Chainsaw. Also, he might be a major. We don't know. Yeah. I expected more for you on that one, Ross. <laughs> Damn it. Laser Chainsaw. Yes. Okay. I but, know. I know. Um, so more of a laser commander. Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> but so a couple of sessions go by and Ross, like, uh, Ross is thinking about coming up with a, a good you know, season finisher villain. And, I'm, and it's like. Oh, do you need some more uh, more fuel for the laser chainsaw? <laughs> <laughs> so I just start blatantly dropping shit. I'm like shit talking the guy online to make sure that his bounty pops up in a system. Uh, at some point, 
or going in disguised as EPA members, I present myself as Lazar Shensaw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laying on thick like whole milk. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so for the campaign, um, we're not going to, I don't know how long it's going to last. We're just going to keep going in for a while, but uh, we're going to do sort of seasons for it. So like we, we did with Dresden. So we're going to have a season one. And the season one finale is going to be a confrontation with Laser Chainsaw. So I'm going to see how much I could piss him off in the meantime. Uh, yeah, apparently. It'll be funny. Um, so it's going to get so ugly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're fine with that though, Aaron. I mean, you helped your fellow robots out, your Urbots out. Uh, what? They just wanted to release nano weapons in a factory. I'm not going to say how that goes because people have not. We have not released that campaign. Yeah, yet, yeah. So Call that, it a preview. That's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't you like helping your robots? I thought you'd be more on board with that. Like, <laughs> we can promise you that Tom Toms. <laughs> yeah, um, Jason, Tom Jason flies the hell out of things. I, Ray I, is awesome. You know, I, I think I've been pretty even keeled with this particular character. I know, and we you s- have, and we ha- have. Have I have I actually given over people to obvious assassins? No, well, thank I'm just. You. I mean, it's just thank a faction you. full of robots. I thought you'd be more on board with helping them. Aaron's it's, character's it's been kind very... of what they're doing, and the fact that we had to kind of jump through some hoops to make sure that things didn't happen in a way. <laughs> and also, it's part of that. What plan was also dragging the good name of Laser Chainsaw through the galactic <laughs> muck. I'm not done yet. Anyhow, but listen, Aaron's character is very helpful. We magnet notes to him. Anyhow, his character is nicknamed Fridge. Yeah, yeah, that's nicknamed Fridge. So, uh, but no, no. no we're, we're gonna. Yeah. It's gonna get worse. So that's uh, after uh, Ash and Stars will be put, putting that up. Uh, that yep. are the uh, Unknown Armies Treasure Hunt campaign, uh, which I'm also doing. Yep. Uh, that's a mini campaign. I don't know how many sessions, how long that. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a scheduling issue of which campaign I finish first. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but anyways, uh, that's it for RPPR episode 160. Please uh, rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already or whatever podcasting app you use. Uh, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash RPPR. Thank you so much for all your support. Uh, I'm at Ross Payton on Twitter. Uh, um, at Aaron Karsten on Twitter. Yeah, I don't Twitter. So uh, it's okay <laughs> if we add one more thing. Sean, don't tweet. Nope. Is a yeah. one more thing. Uh, just since we had said that, uh, Sean and I are doing weekly raillery. Uh, yes. That's like streams on uh, raillery podcast streaming on Twitch. So if we're currently on, uh, we are currently returning to Spider-Man PS4. So uh, we just started that. So if you want to see that, we're, we're usually doing every Wednesday at around 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And again, just uh, rain reviews. Uh, thanks. Thank Bye. Bye.